Coming to you from beautiful Boulder, Colorado, from the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought, this is the Word on the Hill. I can't maintain that for very long. That was pretty good. Thanks, thanks. I'm Father Peter. And I'm Scott Powell. And we're totally stoked that you're here. We are stoked because it's the 16th Sunday in Ordinary Time. 16! (laughs) Magic, magic 16. Dude, uh, do you have a favorite number? 24. You do? Yeah. 24. Ever since I was a little kid, because it reminds me of the colors green and orange. Dude, you got a little synesthesis going on there. I think it has to do with Sesame Street. There oh. must have been like a number 24 who did a dance I liked or something. Oh. Do you remember Sesame Street when yeah. the numbers always danced and sang things? Yeah, absolutely, man. 24, 24, 24. I don't know what it I just have always had an affinity for 24. That's awesome. I, I um, you know, I, I prefer the number 27. But because really? it's three times three times three, so no, it's pretty good. And and I love three thirty three. Wow. Three thirty three really is my ultimately my favorite number. Wow! But that's a pretty large number to have. I mean, it's not very like root level. No, I was thinking twenty four was big, but three hundred thirty three. Baby, it's because my whole life basically hinges on that number. How so? Well. That's how where that's like I I had a dream about being a priest and then I woke up in the middle of the night and it was three thirty three in the morning and then really? all of a sudden my heart opened to like all of the work that God was doing because three thirty three was always like the, that's like the coolest number because you have it's very trinitarian because yeah. each number is three yeah and but they're all three right but then you can like if you put the the little like time divider number in it then you have Jesus, who was one person of the Trinity, yeah. so three time divider thirty three. So if if you look at it as a time, then oh, all of a sudden you have Jesus. Which you did initially, yes, and yeah. uh, then you have Jesus, who is thirty three years old wow. when he dies. And so I don't know. I just I just dig it, and and plus yeah. it plus it looks cool. You can you can make it sy- symmetrical, symmetrical. Well, it's uh, onomatopoeic. What a palindrome. <laughs> It's a palindrome. It's a palindrome. Well, no, no, it's a palindrome, but it's also like if you were to flip the numbers backwards, then it you'd would have still be symmetrical. B B B. It would look like a bunch of three butterflies lined up together. Three butterflies. It could also be depending on how you drew the letters. If you turn them vertically, it would look like birds flying in the air. Oh yeah, that's and then, true. And then if you turn them the other direction, it would look like butts sitting on chairs. <laughs> <laughs> I've never <laughs> thought about this ever. <laughs> like, really? Yeah, yeah. I have never thought about turning these letters other than into the, the three-way. So. Well, but now we have. Yes, and now. I like driving on the three-way. I mean, sorry, freeway. Oh, oh. Seriously, is that where we went? Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's morning here. What's well, late morning? It feels early. It feels earlier than it is. Yeah, it is feeling that way. That's okay. Ten o'clock in Boulder is like seven o'clock anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Dude, I got up and I, I, was, I was taking a shower and, and uh, I my window was open because it's just this beautiful day in the bathroom. And, and that sounded funny. But the- um, A beautiful day in the bathroom. <laughs> it was a beautiful day. And I opened the window in the bathroom and I turned on my stereo and I was like listening and like some Nirvana came on and it nice. was like blasting, but it was like eight in the morning and I just had this deep pity on my neighbors who they probably were up late. Yeah, I don't know. They deserve it. They do. For all that they- all they put you through. Ah! <laughs> Father Peter lives in this beautiful, great house up on the hill in Boulder, and he's surrounded by college students. We're up till all hours of the night. Literally surrounded by them. Literally. Yeah. Are those guys? Yep. Okay. 
I'm he, pointing to he's <laughs> pointing to the neighbors. south. Well, not over there. That's a family across the street from. Except for the yeah, the, well, they're renting to uh, college students this year. Oh no! <laughs> I always see tricycles in their front yard, and my heart is always warmed. But that doesn't that doesn't preclude. That's true. Good students. point. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Oh uh, well. You, well, oh. speaking speaking of the number three, we have yeah. three visitors in our first reading today. Oh well, we have good some segue. We have some. Um, we have your segues are usually terrible. That was really good. Hey, thanks. I'm sorry. That sounded insulting, but it was meant to be. <laughs> yeah, I took the. You're usually notice, awful. But... Notice how you normally have a horrible one, but that's Somehow okay. You did something good. It's it's because I normally ride a tricycle. <laughs> See, dude, it's doubling up. Uh, yeah. So we have the first reading, which is uh, from Genesis. Oh, we're we going for it. Uh, yeah. 18. Here we go. <laughs> End up with a small talk. Yeah, Genesis 18 is our first reading. Okay. And then we have um, the psalm, is Psalm 15, with a mm. bunch of numbers following. Yep. And then less than usual, though. Less than usual. Mm. And then um, what is our? We have Colossians, Colossians 20, chapter one, chapter one, verse twenty-four. Which, following, does that pick up right where our reading from last week left off? Because I think our reading from last week was Colossians like one fifteen through twenty-three or something. I don't know. I no, should. no, it, it doesn't. <laughs> Are you sure? Maybe, maybe it does. I think it does. I I'm can, checking I'm, right now. I have short term, man. Yeah, no, it picks up. It was 1, verse 15 through 20. Oh. So we're pretty much picking up right where we left off, give or take. Oh, yeah, yeah, because 21 says, uh, all you who were once estranged and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Sometimes. That's us. That's (laughs) us. And then we have have the um, uh, Luke 10, Mm -hmm. uh, verse 38. Jesus visits Martha and Mary. Just a little one this week. Short little, short little. They, 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 uh, I, I like it when we get a little chunk. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good because the, uh, the rest of the readings are pretty meaty this week. Oh, Speaking of chunks. Hey, dude, do you have any? Well, we're on. We're, we're on, on today, now. man. Tricycles and meaty. Tri- meaty tricycles. <laughs> hey, do you have any shout outs today? No. I have a shout out to the, the Gmail team who sent us an email today about <laughs> all the features of our new inbox. <laughs> no, I also have a shout out to Father Dan Hess, who is a friend of ours, who uh, is using the Lanky guys for his homily prep, which maybe he doesn't want his parishioners to know that. So, <laughs> it's our secret. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell. We won't tell your parishioners. And Father Dan is a great uh, pastor out in, I don't know if he's a pastor or not, but he's a great priest out in the Diocese of Cincinnati. You know, so Dan Hess, Father Dan Hess, here's to you, Father Dan. Whoop whoop, dude. I have to. I have to tell you. Sometimes I actually listen to our podcast. Oh no, for homily prep afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> what do those guys say? I'm like, I'm like, dude. I know that there was like a. I know that like <laughs> Scott made a good point, or I know that I made a good point, but I just can't remember it. Yeah. I'm glad, I, I'm glad I don't have to do homily prep. Me too. B- yeah. okay okay we're back to the number three and we got visitors we got abraham yeah so genesis chapter 18 right yeah um and and at this point he is a ham yeah it's true you have the you have the voice of somebody who's like on the phone but they're surfing the internet (laughs) (laughs) you you know that voice i i only get that voice every once in a while i'm like talking to my dad's like hey how's it going i'm like i'm good Good. I just learned how to tie knots. <laughs> I learned. You you use the internet better than most people. You have found the most fascinating things on the internet. Remember that day you taught me about the the making pop can camping stoves or something? Oh yeah, absolutely. Man, you Man, just find stuff. I'm still like I found a whole do it yourself um camping site. All I find camping are the site. LOL cats. 
<laughs> awkward family photos. <laughs> You're like saving the world and creating survival devices. Dude, it's it's all there, man. You you start to get into survivalism, the internet is your friend. I mean, I, I learned how to get out of zip tie handcuffs the other day. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Do you I, find yourself in zip tie handcuffs often? No, but, but... But if you do... But if I do, well, this is the thing is, man, the persecution might come as a persecuted priest. Somebody's going to break in. They're going to zip tie handcuff me, and I'm going to get out because I need to serve the people of God. Yeah, the guy went to Walmart and used the strongest zip ties he could. I can barely get zip ties off of my kids' toys when we buy them. <laughs> so. Dude, okay. Okay, back to back to business. Genesis 18. Um, okay, so Genesis 18. This is the story of uh, Abraham who meets these three visitors, which is a pretty well-known story. But context here is everything. And so, yeah. Uh, so, well, here's how it begins. It says, the Lord appeared to Abraham by Abraham. So his name is Abraham by this point. He's a ham. Ah. See, now you got it. You didn't understand what I said before. Did you say that before? I did. I said, now he's a ham. When did you say that? Okay, well, let's just keep okay, going. Okay. <laughs> by the terabinth of memory. Uh, as he sat in the entrance to his tent while the day was growing hot. Um, one thing to just note on this, all throughout Genesis in particular, there's this line that says, the Lord appeared to so-and-so, the Lord appears to Abraham. Okay. That's sort of the generic way of the Lord appearing in, in any capacity. So what we actually think is going on here is that there's angels appearing to Abraham, but these angels are the represent representatives of the Lord. So whenever you see... Uh, this line, the Lord appeared. Mm-hmm. It's in some capacity the Lord is revealing himself. That's what it says when Moses sees the burning bush. That's what it sees here when um, you know, Abraham sees these angels. So the Lord is making himself manifest. It's not God coming down, but he's manifesting himself in some way. So the Lord appeared to Abraham by the chair of the Mammon. Um, the key, everything you need to know about this story has to do with what just happened. Do you have any idea what has just happened to Abraham, Abraham by the time this story shows up? Something just happened in the previous chapter to him that was pretty significant. Um, I, I I don't remember the book that well. Shook. Circumcised. Yeah, he just got circumcised. So here's here's the macro story of Abraham. Remember, Abram and Sarah desperately wanted children. They wanted offspring. They couldn't do it. They were old. <laughs> they were old. They were they were infertile. So all this stuff happens. But God promises him that he's going to have children. And eventually they just get sick of waiting and they decide to take matters into their own hands. So Sarah says to Abraham, hey, I have this maidservant Hagar from that time, by the way, that they went to Egypt when they weren't supposed to go to Egypt. So they have this Egyptian maidservant they actually shouldn't have in the first place. Because remember, he goes to Egypt when, yeah, I do. to escape this famine. I remember that part. To. So they have this maidservant they're not supposed to have. And Sarah's like, oh, great. Well, we'll take matters into our own hands. Maybe God wants you to sleep with her. And have an offspring that way. And so Abraham's like, great, that sounds good to me. So he goes and he has basically an affair with this woman. They have this child. His name is Ishmael, right? He becomes the father of all the Arab peoples. And, um, right? Yes. Yeah. And it's it's ugly. And basically, it's at that point that God commands circumcision. Here, here's what I love about the Bible. The Bible never um, condescends to us and is like, well, Abraham committed a sin. Therefore, God said you were bad. And this, this happened. No, it shows the results. It yeah, it shows, shows the results. So all of a sudden, here God shows up and he commands for this thing called circumcision, which is weird and painful and kind of brutal. And you're like, where the heck did that come from? Why does God ask for that to be done? Well, if you follow the story, he's just committed adultery with this woman. So circumcision, I think, is given as a punishment. And if God is just and if God is reasonable, then the punishment fits the crime. So he has this punishment that comes basically in the exact place where his sin was committed. So he's never going to be able to to perform the sexual act without being reminded of what he's done. 
right? Wow. Okay. That's what just happened in chapter 17. Circumcision has been introduced into the picture. So Abraham, this very old man, has just been circumcised. What do you expect an old man who's just been circumcised would be doing? Um, re- resting. Resting, recuperating, right? In, in his bed somewhere. But what's Abraham doing? Well, he's actually sitting at the entrance of his tent as it's hot. And knowing what's just happened to him changes everything about this story because one of the things that God asked of Abraham way back in chapter 12, when God began to make this covenant with Abraham, he said, what I want from you is to be a blessing to all the nations. I want you to be a blessing to the world. Abraham basically failed at that. Remember, he brought a curse on the on the land of Egypt because he passed off his wife as a sister. He brought a curse on Ishmael in a certain sense because he did this thing. He had a child out of wedlock and it was a bad situation. So he's not been doing this. And what the rabbis, the ancient rabbis all said, is that this is kind of the point in the story where Abraham is beginning to get his vocation. And so at the moment when Abraham should be in bed, resting, recuperating from this terrible thing that's happened to him, he's actually not. He's sitting in the doorway of his tent. And actually in Hebrew it says, during the heat of the day. Now, we know if you read the rest of this story, they're down in this part of the Middle East, um, down in uh, the Negev is what it's called, N-E-G-E-V or B. It's interchangeable. Yeah. Which is the high, it's actually the lowest point on the face of the earth. It's down where near Sodom and Gomorrah were believed to be. And it's incredibly hot. It's brutally hot. And if he's sitting in it, this is the time of the day. The heat of the day was when you'd go to the interior of your tent to cool off, to take a nap, because this is a time of the day that could, it could literally kill a person if they're out in this heat of the day in this part of the world. It's brutal. Yeah. So in the time of the day when everyone's in their interior of their tent, when Abraham really should be resting up, what's he doing? Well, the rabbis all said that he's actually sitting in this tent watching for someone who he can bless, watching for someone, looking for someone that he can show hospitality to at the moment that he should be actually resting. Which is kind of be- it's kind of a beautiful thought because again, some poor wanderer could die in this sort of heat. Yeah. So that's what he's doing, and that kind of puts it in context. And it says, looking up, Abraham saw three men standing nearby, and when he saw them, now again, check this out. When he saw them, what does he do? He what puts a brisket on? <laughs> a brisket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, okay, I'm not looking at the text right now. Yeah, look at that. When he saw them, he what? Um, wash their feet. No, nope, before that. Ran from the door. Well, he ran. Now, again, there's all these subtle little things. What has just happened to Abraham? Surgery. An old man has just been circumcised. What does he do when he sees these poor wanderers? He, he runs. runs. So he ran from the entrance to the tent to greet them. And then what does he do? And then he washes their feet. Before that. He uh, bowed himself to the earth. Again, that's really important if you remember what has just happened to Abraham. He's running. He's bowing down. I mean, he's putting himself, he's sacrificing himself for these people. It all seems really subtle because you just read right past that. Oh, he's running, he's bowing. That's what people do. But then you think, well, wait a second. What's just happened to this guy? Yeah. So he's really sacrificing himself in a certain sense, right? Yeah. And he bows down. And um, he's a sir, if I may ask you this. Oh, here's what we were talking about this earlier. We were talking about how a lot of theologians have seen the Trinity in the story. Andre Rublev and his famous icon, right, of the Trinity. Which has always frustrated the heck out of me. I can't tell you that, like, I don't get it. You know how it's like, like, yeah, it's just one of those things. Like, that that I think that there are other people who might actually find frustration with this out in our listening audience. Yeah, well, the re- I mean, so there's a couple things going on. Number one, I mean, here's this image of three men. So yep. people are like, oh, Trinity, right there, which is maybe reading into it a little much, right? Just because there's three people doesn't necessarily imply Trinity. But one of the things that's going on in the Hebrew, and we talked about this earlier, um, what and I, the uh, the NAB actually does this. I don't know if the RSV actually pulls this out the same way. 
But in Hebrew, what you actually see, there's three men who show up and Abraham addresses them in the second person singular. So he addresses three people as one, which doesn't make any grammatical sense. There's no reason you would do that. And the RSV says, my Lord, actually. My Lord. So it is still in the singular. Yeah. So he addresses these three people as one person. And, and I've never seen a oh. good explanation from that from the rabbis or how the Jewish people might read that. Yeah. But the fathers of the church look back and they had a field day with this. So like, look, he's inexplicably addressing three people in the singular tense. Wow. Three in one. Oh, it's the Trinity. It's a foreshadowing. I mean, I don't think that's what Abraham is actually doing, but it's the subtle veiled reference that's tucked into the Old Testament. I remember this, the Lord manifesting himself. Yeah. And there's three in one. It's kind of, it's kind of beautiful. Yeah, that's that actually makes that actually makes some sense now. Yeah, that's and I good. think that's where Rublev is pulling this. Yeah, out of that's great. Yeah, that's that's good. I I feel a little bit more relaxed while he's doing that, and I like that because I have a good friend, Father Jim Thermos, and the Andre oh, Rublev's Trinity Jim. is like the like his his standard. I've his got it gold in my standard. office. It's on my desk down the street. Sweet. Do you always scoff at it when you see it? Well, that I've always wondered. I've always wondered. Icon. I'm like that icon loving. <laughs> I'm like I'm like bring back I got a glass of no I'm really not at all, at all I'm like I'm like I cannot believe Nicaea two happened because ah, I do know you use my desk from time to time I do I do use your desk so you're stuck staring at Rublevs I have I am um, but now I can actually enjoy it and mm-hmm. I can say my Lord it's kind of like let us make him make him in our own image yeah it's the same kind of deal it's kind of this this weird grammar now we can't take it too far because I don't think this is actually the Trinity appearing and actually what the um, what the ancient rabbis said, who, who are, so who are these three mysterious figures? Well, we don't know for sure, but the ancient rabbis said that it's actually the, the uh, three archangels appearing. And that's, that's how the tradition stands, is that this is actually Raphael, Michael, and uh, Gabriel who are appearing. Now, it doesn't say that explicitly. It's, it's, it's the Jewish tradition, but I think it's kind of neat, partially because if you keep reading on in the story, so Abraham goes out, he brings these guys in, he tells Sarah, his wife, to go make those cupcakes that everybody on the block loves. And, and you know, he's showing this great <laughs> hospitality, um, which is really beautiful. But later on, right after this whole scene of this great hospitality, they, uh, a bunch of them go on to Sodom and Gomorrah, or they go on to Sodom. Remember that story? Yes. So the story of Sodom and Gomorrah happens right after this. But if you read it carefully, so there's three people who show up here. In the next scene, Abraham continues on with two figures to Sodom. And you got to wonder, well, wait a second, what happened to the third one? Yeah. Because there were three, and then in the next scene he moves on, he goes with two. So if the Jewish tradition is right, and these are the three archangels— um, you got Gabriel, you got St. Michael, and you got Raphael. The only other time Raphael is mentioned explicitly Tobit. I think is in the book of Tobit, right? Tobit, yeah, yeah. Do you remember yeah. what he's known for in Tobit? What does Raphael mean? Do you know what the word means? Um, or what does he do in Tobit? Well, he's a guide. He's, he's a guy, but he does something else. He uh, is a healer. I mean, he's that's, a healer. That's that, that's it. That's actually where um, the the um, uh, chiropractic gets its yeah. symbol. Yeah, exactly. Is, is from, from the Raphael. angel Raphael, and that's what Raphael means. It means the Lord heals. El means means God or the Lord. Rapha is a derivative of the the verb to heal. So the Lord heals. So think about this for a second. Raphael. What does Abraham need more than anything else at this moment? Healing. He needs healing. So God sends the archangels, and then only two of the three go on to the next scene. Why? Because Raphael has already done his job, and he's received healing, and so his his work is done. 
so he sort of moves out. It's a beautiful Ooh. tradition because, and what the, the ancient rabbis say is that this is God showing favor. It, the ancient rabbis, if you read their writings on this, their commentary, they say God is so moved mm-hmm. by Abraham sitting at the door of his tent in the heat of the day looking for someone to bless that God moved with pity, sends the archangels and sends Raphael to heal him in this way. So it's really kind of neat. That's way cool. Yeah. I really dig it. So it's all about hospitality and healing and this service and, and Abraham literally realizing what his vocation is supposed to be and then beginning to live it out and God blessing him for that and healing him for that. Dude. And I, Sarah too. Sarah's, Sarah's very hospitable too. And, and Sarah, you know, and, and Sarah is laughing. That's the, that's the part we don't get in the reading actually. Sarah laughs yeah. to herself. Um, and my, cause my husband is shriveled up, dude, and old. <laughs> He's like a potato. Is that what it says in the Hebrew? Yeah, it says it says laughed like saying, "I've grown old, and my husband is a potato." <laughs> <laughs> and then, so there we go. I always imagine, you know, when they're talking, they're all they're all hanging out in the kitchen talking about how he's going to have a son, and it says Sarah laughed at. It. I always picture. <laughs> I, well, I always picture behind a door with the snort. You know, you know the laugh snort. Yep. And you're like, <laughs> and, and that's what the archangels hear, and they're like, "Oh, you laughed. It's going to be named Isaac." <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> Because <laughs> Isaac means he laughs, dude. That's it's awesome. neat because that is where the name Isaac comes from, and Isaac is is got a dual meaning. So it's at the, at the moment when they when she snort laughs right or whatever she does, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, his name is gonna be Isaac because you laughed at it. But there is this kind of dual meaning. So she laughs at it, almost scoffing. But later on, it's gonna be laughter of joy and happiness when he's born. So it's kind of contains all that within it. It's a good name. That's my son's middle name, Samuel Isaac. Sweet. Yeah. So yeah, that's the first reading. There you have it. Let's psalm it up, dude. Psalm it up. I don't have a whole lot to say on today's um, psalm, except to say that, um, well, no, that's not true. If you look at the responsorial itself, so Psalm 15, the responsorial is, he who does justice will live in the presence of the Lord, which is actually precisely the answer to what's happening in the first reading. Which, you know what? This is one thing. I mean, this is a big, huge question for f- philosophy to take up. But but I think a basic understanding of justice is really good. Because well, justice, well, you, you were giving me the hand signal. Because oh. I've got, yeah. You go on, and then I will correct you and tell you the correct answer. And then I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... Dude, remember how, remember how Raphael came to help out Abraham? Yeah. Yeah, you, you better be calling upon him. Because I'm going to put the whoop on you, dog. We'll see. This is our most violent podcast yet. No, sorry. That's okay. It's because it's the morning. And the, kind of. And like both. Well, it's not that early. <laughs> <laughs> we can use that as Dude, it's my, all we want. It's my day off is what it is. Mm. And you woke me up. It is your day off. It's Monday. It is. I actually didn't even think about that. That's okay, man. I believe in you. Thanks, man. I believe in the word of yeah. the Lord yeah. on the hill. Yeah. Justice is giving what is due. That is what justice really is at a That's fundamental true. level. Yes. So, so you know, the one who does justice to his neighbor is the one who's giving due, and one who does justice for God. That's why when we say in the liturgy, it is right and just. Yeah. We're actually meant to give worship to God. That is actually His due. Yes. And if we don't do the due, then we are going to be pew. <laughs> Very good. We do the due in the pew. That's a part of it. Though. For the few named the three, the Trinity. I am PDP. That's good. That's a part of justice, though. That's Mm -hmm. not the entirety of justice, though. It's giving God his due, but it's also giving others their due. Well, yeah, that's what I said. Oh, did you say that? I said that. Well, that's cool. 
one of the but this is one of the, this is actually one of the key words in this part of Genesis or in that part of Genesis that we just looked at. Um, you, it, there's there's a lot of times in the Old Testament there's word groupings when words show up together, they sometimes have their own kind of individual meaning. So throughout this part of Genesis, throughout Genesis, you actually throughout the whole Old Testament you'll see the terms justice and righteousness yeah. often paired together, and they're always usually linked with this Hebrew term gemilut chesed. Have you heard that word before? Well, I know Hesed, but I did not know Gemilut. Gemilut Hesed. So, so here, to back up one step, the Jewish people had this um, philosophy, and it was one of the rabbis. I think it was Rabbi Hillel. I don't know. One of, the, one of the famous rabbis that predated Jesus talked about when God created the world, he founded the world on three principles. And that all of creation, what it means to be a follower of Yahweh, means your life is revolved around these three principles. Number one is Torah which is the word of God, God's word. You follow what he, what he te- says to us. Second one is avodah, which is the Hebrew word for worship. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is gemilut chesed, or gemilut chesedim, which means works, or, or works of loving kindness. So acts of steadfast love. Chesed. Remember, chesed appears all over the Old Testament as, as God's steadfast love. Yeah. Gemilut chesed is basically performing those works of steadfast love to one another. So basically, you know, what does it mean to follow Yahweh? Well, the ancient rabbi said it's following his word, worship, and then works. This guy had a good yoke. He had a great yoke. And actually, if you, I think, and a lot of scholars think that's what Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is based around. In Matthew 5 through 7, yeah. those three chapters, you can actually follow that theme. Chapter 5 is all about you have heard it said, you have seen it written, da-da-da-da-da, God's word. All of chapter 6 is about how to worship. When you worship God, you know, when you fast, do it this way, don't do it this way. And then chapter 7 is all about actions towards one another. So word, worship, and works. It's all framed around this. So Gemilut Chesed is showing this justice to one another. So what is Abraham doing in this story? Well, he's showing Gemilut Chesed, right? He's showing um, not just acts of loving kindness, but those acts of loving kindness in, in the Christian understanding, in the Jewish understanding, are actually justice. St. John Chrysostom, right, had that great line. He said, if we don't care, if we don't care for the poor, we're actually stealing from them. Because out of justice, they actually, we don't owe them necessarily the $20 bill in our pocket, but we owe them our charity. They Mm. actually are, that is their possession. We actually owe them that. If we don't give them our charity in Mm -hmm. some capacity, we are stealing from them. We're robbing them of what is due them. Mm. So to care for the poor or to show loving kindness to others is actually to perform justice in the ancient Jewish understanding, I think in the true Christian understanding of it, right? Yeah, thank you. And sometimes that's harder to figure out how to do because it's not just throwing money at somebody necessarily. Yeah. But we have to do something. So here is Abraham doing justice. And what does the psalm say? He who does justice will live in the presence of the Lord. So here's Abraham sitting at the door of his tent showing justice. And what's the response? Mm. The presence of the Lord comes to him in a very explicit way. So the psalm is answering what's happening in the first reading. Awesome. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. That's way cool. Yep, 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 yep. Yep, yep, yep. And that yep, brings yep, yep. us to Colossians. Um, we are at verse, chapter 1, verse 24, Paul's suffering again. Which is, again, it's sort of answering the first reading. All of it is sort of drawing us in. He's, he begins by I saying, know. brothers and sisters, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what's lacking. We'll get to that in a second. But I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. You, it's not explicit, but you kind of get the sense that this is what Abraham is, is doing. Yeah. He is suffering. And that, again, every, that cannot be overlooked in that first reading. Otherwise, this scene doesn't make any sense. He's just kind of sitting around waiting for people to 
make cupcakes for. That's that's not what the scene is. He's suffering, and in his suffering, he is serving, and he's rejoicing in that, and he's serving others, which is actually the whole point of Colossians. So the no, it's not Second like Corinthians is what I'm thinking of. Yeah, but it's a part of of Colossians, but it's a it's a main part of what Paul is actually trying to get at in the mysterious connection with Christ. Yeah, because this is this is kind of that bridge where we're um we're seeing that that when we're drawn up into Christ, then everything that takes place inside of us is is unity with Him actually, yeah. and yeah. that that it has real effect. Because that's I'll tell you what I mean. Right. Being able to deal in people's sufferings, yeah, I mean that is that is actually what a, a priest is 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 one who deals in people's sufferings. They live mm. there as Christ lived as high priest in the midst of everybody's sufferings. The, trying to help them to understand what the heck is going on. I have a friend who had brain surgery. Her eyes are crossed, and she's struggling to speak, and it's difficult, and she's wow. struggling to balance and to move. And and, and the, the deeper question is, is, does this mean anything? Wow. And um, and that's, that's actually where Paul is actually, this is so helpful. Right. Because it's, it, it, it gives, what Abraham gives us is a, uh, is a model, what Christ gives us is a model. Right. What Paul helps us to understand is those models, when you function out of these sufferings, out of these things, when you unite them and, and orient them properly and not just see yourself in a victim's place. Yeah. Or in the victim's place and you say, but it's for a purpose. Yeah, I mean, this is a theme of Paul's letters, is that Paul keeps, in, in a ton of his letters, keeps getting slammed, and he refers to this. Paul is getting slammed by people. Second Corinthians, I mentioned Colossians too, though, and people are saying, "Look, Paul is not legit. He's he's not a good Christian. He's not a good leader. You know that because of how much he's suffering. If God really loved him, if he was really being blessed, yeah. why is he always shipwrecked? Why is he always in prison? Why is he always getting beat up by people?" And Paul's answer to that is, "No, no, no. My afflictions are actually showing my legitimacy as an apostle mm. because I'm actually entering into Christ's sufferings." So yeah, maybe in the Old Testament that would have that would have been an appropriate read of this. But look, because of Jesus Christ, my sufferings are actually the em, they're emblematic of the fact that I am the representative of Christ. And and again, this is in Second Corinthians. But one of the, my favorite um, passages, the whole idea, it's where we get the idea of uh, the Paraclete. And Paul says, "My job, I'm actually suffering, and I'm suffering all of these things so that I can understand the nature of suffering, so that." I can walk beside you guys when your suffering inevitably comes because it will as Christians. We're going to suffer. And so just as Christ has comforted me and my sufferings, he's teaching me how to comfort you in your sufferings, which again, like you said, that's the job of the priest. But you can't really understand that unless you have been comforted by Christ in those sufferings so that you can understand how to do it for one another. Yep, you cannot give what you do not have. You. Um, but then he says, and there's this line, it's just we have to comment on this because there's this line that gives people a really hard time. People get really hung up on this, especially our Protestant friends. The word lacking. Yeah, he says, I am f- in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, which suggests that there's something lacking in Christ's cross, right? That Christ didn't do it all. That, that, yeah, that Jesus is a lackey. <laughs> right. I don't know Precisely. what that means. No, I, I I'm, just trying, I'm just playing with yeah, the word. Cool. I'm it's sorry. Cool. I'm sorry, Jesus. No, it's cool. He forgives you. I shouldn't say that. I don't know that. Yeah. You have the right to say that. <laughs> you can bind and loose. I can. I, I am. Can't. Yeah. That's why I learned how to tie knots. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well said. But Thank yeah, you. so I mean, what, it's not that there's something lacking in Christ's cross. What? What's like? He's done it all. I mean, Hebrews says he... he um, 
It's offered once for all. It's a done deal for everyone. The only thing that's lacking is our participation in it. Yes. So it's not that Christ is, is missing something in what he's done. I got to fix it. It's that the only thing that's lacking in that is my participation. It doesn't. It, it, it's great that Christ died for me and, and that he's offered me this grace, but if I don't actually reach out and take the grace that he's giving me, then there's something missing. That is simply my participation, and that's what Paul is saying. What's lacking is just me. I actually have to enter into this now, and so do all the rest of us. And that entails suffering, which yes. is what he's getting at. Because the, uh, the rejection of that suffering is what? I mean, ultimately, you become selfish and trying yeah. to control your own happiness, trying to yeah. control your own life. And the reality of yeah. entering into Christ and to accept what has been given, right. it's profound. And, and, what, and actually, there's a deep, deep joy in it. That's why, that's yeah. why we can be a, a people who fast with joy. Right. Yeah, which is what Jesus says to do in Matthew 6. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't, you know, be glum and not wash your face. Bing bong. <laughs> yeah. Speaking, cool. speaking of of not being glum, okay, we're moving into the gospel. Moving into the gospel, Luke ten, because Martha is traditionally painted as the glum one who's just like frenetically running around. Yeah, I don't buy that though. I don't. Uh, do you? What do you think, dude? There's a couple of readings. I think this is a strange passage. I do too. That um th- that uh, that that at first glance it disses people who cook and serve, and like all of right. a sudden like Martha's doing bad stuff and Mary's right. doing good things. But it's I think not, that there's so much more happening with with these relationships. That, especially when you link it with the first reading. Because if you take this as a reading of just like, well, Martha's ooh. too busy, Martha's doing stuff. It's just it's Mary who's good because she's just sitting around in the feet of Jesus, which is very good. But if you link that with the first reading that the church in her wisdom has given us, you're kind of stuck there. Because you're wait a second, but the whole first reading said Abraham was blessed because he showed this hospitality and he made food and he did all these things. So how do you reconcile that? Well, that's why that, I think Martha gets I, a bad rap. Well, I think that there's, a, I think that that what's about to take place is, um, well, there's a couple of things because Jesus does says something pretty intense. He says, "Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is needful." Right. So, so you always see that you know Jesus is is dissing the anxiety of this woman. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. For sure. For you're sure. You're troubled. He's like. He's like. For sure. He's like throw a cat. He says, "Don't do something elaborate." Did you say throw a cat? Throw a casserole. <laughs> hey, Martha, throw a cat and come and join your sister. Well, this is the thing is I'm trapped between a couple of interpretations of this. Okay, because I have a question about the wording here. Because because um, there's there's I've I've heard it being like Martha, your 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 hospitality is too elaborate. Make some cupcakes and come out and hang out with your sister. But I've also heard. The, We're big on cupcakes today. I know you, but that's because you brought I really it up. Like cupcakes. I want to go to get that. There's like a cupcake shop up here that is good. I hear. Let's do it. It's like cupcake and coffee. Let's do it, man. Okay. Okay. After this, though. And so the, I think it's actually called cupcakes. Nice. That's appropriate. Uh, appropriately so. And um, so what happens is that you have that you have that side, but mm-hmm. then you have the other side, which is the reality is is that Mary is breaking out of a traditional role. Yeah. Mary is should actually be helping her sister. Yeah. The, the, the reality that she kind of she she jumped ship and decided just to hang out with Jesus is a is is a radicality culturally. Yeah. The women would go and they would uh, the, the, I'm not trying to be a misogynist or anything, but the women would go and they would cook food and they right. would make sure that everything's taken care of. Right. So for her to go and hang out with the guys and to actually sit at Jesus's feet to hang out yeah, with I the Yeah, I mean disciples, Lazarus is obviously not around. 
He lives there, remember? Yeah. He was their sister. He was their brother. And Martha wasn't and yelling at Lazarus. Martha's not yelling at Lazarus. She's right. yelling at Mary because it's culturally. Right. And so Jesus is actually breaking down the traditional That's female true. roles and saying, no, Mary has a place here. That's true. That's a good point. Here's my question, though. Yo. So I, I agree with all that, but here's where I'm hung up a little bit. Where he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. Mm-hmm. He says, there is need of only one thing. And Mary has chosen the better part. Now, that just grammatically, that suggests to me, okay, there's need of one thing, and Mary has chosen the better part of that one thing. Because he, he doesn't seem to be saying that Martha has chosen the bad thing. He's saying that Mary has chosen the better part of the good thing. Is that, am I making any sense? Yes, and I think I'm a little that hung the, up on this. I think that goes to my first interpretation. Is he's saying you're worried about many things. There's only one thing that's necessary, yeah. which is we have to eat. So you should be done with this side of the hospitality and join me. But it's not the hospitality that's bad. Obviously, no. I mean, we know that from the other readings. It's the it's the elaborate nature of the hospitality or the anxiety about the hospitality. Yes. Well, if we look at it in in this other way, what was happening with um, with uh, Abraham and Martha? I mean, Abraham and Sarah. Sarah. Sorry, <laughs> Abraham and Sarah. She she's actually going, and he says he says, "I want you to make some cupcakes." Yeah. She's hanging, and she <laughs>, laughs behind the door, and they said, "Hey, we caught you. You're laughing." And then she was just like kind of freaked out, but she ultimately did join the party. That's true. And that's what I think is 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 what we're dealing with with. With um, Martha and Mary is that is that Martha's, Martha's really not joining ex- the party. She's expected to join the party. She's actually meant to be here and to en- embrace the Savior. That there's not some sort of secondary reality, but that hospitality is a part of it. But do you think Martha should? I, so my personality is the kind of personality that's just tempted to think like, well, Martha should have helped though. I mean, Mary should have helped. I mean, should Mary have been? Because. This is a hard reading for me because, well, I mean, you can't – there has to be something. I mean, Jesus came for a meal, so you should provide a meal. Yes. I, I get that Martha's just stressed out about it and she's anxious and she's worrying about all these parts. She needs to come. But at the same time, what about her critique of her sister that, that Mary actually hasn't done anything to help? Well, yeah, Jesus but, doesn't actually address that yeah, but, at all. But she's also telling Jesus what to do, which you, have, you <laughs> always have to good. kind of like be careful at any, any of your spirit. and That's true. And so, so Jesus says, no, no, no. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Good point. But you, that's good. But that's the Lord true. answered her, Martha, you're anxious and troubled. One thing is needful. She's hmm. chosen the good portion which shall not be taken away from her. Which the, the the church we see this in a longer reality is yeah, is that yeah. there is a contemplative state in life. Yeah. But it but but in this scene itself, even the contemplatives have hospitality and hospitality towards each other and towards right. Christ. And I think it's I think it I think it's the the trouble and the anxiety that she's yeah. saying make make her make her join in my soft atheism. <laughs> hmm, have you heard Harsh. that? Yeah, no. I know. Like. Like no. as if as if God isn't going to provide and isn't going to make it nice. That's true. God is there. He's making it wonderful and nice. Interesting. And, she, and so she she's interested in doing that, but but um and and she ultimately her ex I think the expectation is that she needs to join. Yeah, I mean it, it's just difficult. I mean because because Abraham asks Sarah to help with the hospitality problem, but she joins. Yeah. Right. All we see is is in this scene that that she's just troubled. Right. And Mary yeah, right. 
And Mary, um, I don't know. Well, and, and here's the thing too, right? I mean, what does it mean to show hospitality? What is Abraham doing? Abraham is sitting, waiting, and watching. What is Martha doing? She's doing the exact opposite. She's not sitting. She's not waiting. She's not watching. She's just stressed out about things, right? Yeah. I mean, what is Mary doing? She's sitting, and she's waiting, and she's watching. So there is a bo- it's a, it is a both end. You can't totally separate these things out. But in the story of Abraham and Sarah, they're kind of embodying the best of all worlds, right? Abraham is sitting, he's waiting, he's watching. Maybe Sarah's doing the same thing. We don't we don't really know. Um, but then they still both are there. They're present. They're sitting at the feet of these visitors. Martha's not. Suffering is going to be suffering, and whether we're anxious about it or not. Yeah. And when we're called into it, then we can actually see meaning or we can bail on it, which is which where uh, Abraham entered into his suffering. Paul entered into the yeah. suffering. Mary is whining about it. Mar- oh, Martha's Martha's whining about because she is suffering. Yeah. And because yeah. it is hard to put a party on. Yeah. Good point. Mary and and Mary is has chosen something to be with the one who is love himself. And what's the point of inviting guests over if you're not going to be present to them? Yep. There's no point in hospitality. That's actually not hospitality, right? Right. If you're actually absent. So they're, they're all teaching us what is the meaning of hospitality. I mean, that this is one of the things that we're called to as Christians, isn't it? Is to yeah. be hospitable in whatever context that takes. Um, and that's, Martha's not hospitable. That's why She's we making have, a bunch of food, but yeah. it's not hospitality. That's why we have a hospital system. <laughs> right. So if you're listening from a hospital right now, we love you. And we do. We love you either way. Yes. Even if you're not in the hospital getting a colonoscopy. <laughs> <laughs> from the Colossians. <laughs> Colossianoscopy. Colossianoscopy. That's where you examine the um, Colossians. Perfect. You scopy because it's the scope. Oh, yeah. We're yeah. scoping out the Colossians. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. May you sit at the edge of your tent and scope for hospitality. Absolutely. And don't get stressed out about the meal this Sunday. And allow the sufferings of your life to have meaning in Jesus. And get some cupcakes. First, the First sake and of, foremost. For the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. Cupcakes for the sake of the gospel. That's going to be the tagline on iTunes this <laughs> week. <laughs> I'm going to wear that t-shirt. Yes, I will. We love you. Send us your shout-outs, and uh, we'll keep the hill alive with the sound of music. Absolutely. Send us an email at linkyguys.thomascenter.org. Find us on Facebook, and we will see you next week. God bless you. Bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys.thomascenter.org. See you next week.